Pastor John here. Thanks for joining us. Today's sermon is Isaac. Our text is Genesis chapter 22. This is number five in our series, Lessons for Today from the OT. It deals with something we all know to be true. God has a plan for each of us. But do we really know that? What happens when that plan doesn't seem to make sense? Let's find out as we join our service. And please stay dialed in for an important message right after the service. I'd like to welcome Lisa and Larry Markham back. It's good to see you guys. Welcome home. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18, but we'll be wandering around in there as well. Well, while you're turning there, I'm going to share a story with you that some of you have heard before, but some of you have not. Back in 1986, Kelly and I moved to Cincinnati to open up a business. Uh, we thought we were going to Cincinnati for the glory of God. It didn't turn out the way we thought it would. And we came home in 1987 disappointed, uh, penniless, shaken, no job, no resources. And it was about then that a close friend came up and said, God has a plan for your life. And we were kind of wondering what that might be. Uh, because it sure didn't look like much of a plan to us. But that's our, that's our truth for today. That's, that's the one thing that I want you to hold on to uh, as you leave this sanctuary this morning. Is God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. You know, it's so trite that we almost don't pay any attention to it anymore. And it's almost like an excuse for having bad times. But the fact of the matter is that God does have a plan, and we see it from time to time. And we're going to see it today in our passage. This is another of our lessons for today from the OT. We're going to talk about Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of nations. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham when he was 90 years old that he would be the father of nations. And he didn't fulfill that promise until well after Abraham was 100 years old. Need to think about that. Abraham made some mistakes along the way. He didn't handle everything right. But God is faithful and true, and he had a plan for Abraham. And he had a plan for Isaac as well. And the great thing about God's plan for Abraham was he revealed it to him ahead of time. He said, this is what's going to happen. He didn't tell him all of the steps and everything, but he said, this is what the, the long-range plan looks like, Abraham. And as you follow Abraham's story, you find out that that plan did not go the way that Abraham thought it would. Everything didn't go as well as Abraham assumed that it would. So we're going to take a look at three aspects of God's plan this morning for Abraham and Isaac. We're going to see Abraham's sorrow in verses 1 through 8. We'll see Isaac's submission in verses 9 and 10. And in verses 11 through 18, we're going to see God's substitute. So here's the context for our passage, because as you all know, we need to understand the context and we're going to understand what's going on in the passage. Abraham, a man from Mesopotamia in Genesis 12, that would be north of where Israel is right now, um, he, he's, Abraham's just a guy. He's standing out there in the middle of the wilderness. He's got some meager belongings, but he's not even a Jew because there aren't any Jews yet. So God comes to Abraham 
And he makes a promise. And Abraham acts kind of foolishly. He, he kind of helps God along with his promise. He says, God says, you know, you and your wife Sarai are going to have a baby. And uh, both Abraham and Sarai kind of get a giggle out of that because they're too old. They're beyond childbearing age. Uh, but as, as the time passes and they get eager to see if God's going to fulfill their promise, they, they kind of help them out. Well, God can't give me a baby, Sarai's thinking, so maybe we can have Abraham father a baby by Hagar. And, and so there's, there's another baby born, uh, Ishmael, and about ten years later there's another son, and this is Isaac. This is the son of the promise. It's the one that God promised him. Who, Isaac's going to become many nations. But the irony is that Ishmael is going to become many nations as well. And the difference between Isaac and Ishmael is that Scripture labels Ishmael a wild donkey of a man. So the, the, everything is not copacetic as far as Ishmael is concerned. Even so, Isaac is going to be the son that God is going to bless the nations through. So the last verse in Genesis 21, the chapter before the one that we're looking at, says Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. And then this happens. This is where we see Abraham's sorrow. Starting with verse 1. After these things, after all these events, Isaac Ishmael sojourning in the land of the Philistines, Abraham kind of dropping the ball several times. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... Now. And, and Abraham said, here I am. Now, we need to understand God's testing. Uh, because sometimes even if we look at the, at the text, it looks like God's trying to find out something about Abraham. When God tests people in the Scripture, we need to keep in mind that He's omnipresent, that He's omniscient. He's everywhere and He knows everything. God's never on a fact-finding mission. So, he's not trying to find out something about Abraham. When God is testing somebody, he's either showing something to that individual or showing something to us about that individual and about him. Remember, the Bible is all about God's character and nature. It's his self-revelation. So, as God tests Abraham, we're going to learn something about Abraham and we're going to learn something about God as well. Something that God intends to reveal. And Abraham says, here I am. Now, this is, this is okay. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. He's not just saying, well, did you not see me standing here? Abraham's saying, I hear you. I understand. What is it you would like me to do? What is it that, that we are going to do together? Abraham's ready, willing, and able. So God said, in verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, now we already know that there is another son, but now we're talking about the only son that God is going to bless the nations through. Ishmael and Hagar have been sent away. Isaac's the only one left. And Abraham absolutely adores Isaac. So he says, take your son whom you love. God recognizes the love that Abraham has for his son and go to the land of Moriah. Now, they're going to end up on a place called Mount Moriah, most likely. We see that in where Solomon builds his temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. It's about 45 miles from Beersheba, where Abraham lives. About a three-day walk. 
And this is where God wants Abraham to go. It's not the first time that Abraham's been put in this position. When God first called Abraham, he said, back when his name was Abram, in Genesis 12, that something very similar happened. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Now, you've got to understand what was happening with Abram back then. Uh, he didn't know God. God hadn't been talking to him. They hadn't been having this discussion. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he says, go to a land. Oh, sure, where? I'll show it to you. What, do you understand what had to happen there? Abraham had to start walking. He didn't know where he was going. We find out later on in, in Hebrews 11 that he set out not knowing where he was going. So the first thing that we see about Abraham is this incredible faith and trust that he has in his father. And his answer to that call in Genesis 12 is, so Abraham went. He took his family, took everything that he belonged, went to his father-in-law, said, I'm going to take your daughter. Where are you taking her? God's going to show me. You probably know how that went over in that household. Oh, yes, Abraham, God's going to show him. And he sets out. We see over and over again that Abraham, as flawed as he is, as many mistakes as he makes, he has great faith. And he's going to need it because look what God wants him to do. Back in, in verse 2 of Genesis 22, he wants him to go to Moriah and offer him, offer Isaac, the son that he loves, there as what? A burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll show you. I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but I don't think it was great thoughts. But Abraham exhibits the same kind of faith again. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, watch this. There's no dialogue here. There's no questioning. There's no Abraham going, what? He, he, he doesn't stop and remind God of the promise that he's made. He doesn't go, you know what? I can't figure this out, God. You want me to sacrifice him the way we would an animal? And he, he's supposed to be the child of the promise. How are you going to do this? Abraham doesn't have a back and forth with God. There doesn't seem to be any doubt. There doesn't seem to be any hesitation. There's no debate. There's just simple faith and trust in God. Even to the point that he takes with him wood and fire. Verse 4, on the third day, on the third day, can you imagine what that trip must have been like? Abraham, knowing what he's been called to do, he's got his son, his beloved son with him, two witnesses. Those guys don't show up in the cartoons, by the way. 
On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. We don't know how he knows which mountain it is. We're just assuming that God showed him. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there. And what are they going to do? They're going to worship. Does this sound like worship to you? Does this sound like a feel-good time that starts out our service where we get to move along with the rhythm? Sounds great. I can dance to it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with worship and song. But right here we see that worship can come in a lot of different forms. And what we see is worship can come from sacrifice. Worship can come from sacrifice. I don't know that that's in our modern nomenclature, vernacular for worship, is sacrifice. We'll go over there and worship and then come again to you. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. It's just the author reminding us who this is. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Now you have to picture what Abraham thinks is going to happen here. uh, Because the way you would sacrifice an animal, you would slit their throat and allow them to bleed out and then put them on a pyre and burn the animal. This is how a lot of folks see this image. Abraham and his young son. Young son looking up to his dad, trusting him. Maybe that's what happened. But in verse 7, we have this heartbreaking exchange between Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, yes, son. What is it I can do for you? And the son said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's answer is classic. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them together. Now, Abraham is most likely thinking, God has already provided the lamb, Isaac. It's you. It's you. I think Abraham's moving in incredible faith here. But I also believe that Abraham is grieving every moment of it. This isn't, this isn't just some guy that's gone off on some lark and decided that God has spoken to him and he's just going to go do it no matter what. This is a man who's struggling with the decision on what to do with his son. He wants to be obedient to God. But he loves his son. It's a precursor to what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit. My spirit wants to do these things, but my flesh causes me to delay, to hold up. Abraham's going through it here in the Old Testament. And then we see Isaac's submission in verses 9 and 10. Watch this. When they came to the place of which God had told them, and later on, this will show up as the threshing floor of Arana that David tries to pay Arana for, tries to 
and, and Arana wants to give it to David, and David says, no, I'm, I'm not going to make a sacrifice on anything that doesn't cost me anything. The, the threshing floor of Arana shows up in 2 Samuel 24, and that's the same spot where the temple's built, where Solomon builds his temple in 2 Chronicles 3, and that's the same spot where the temple mount is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. So God is saying right back here, this is the place of sacrifice. This is the place of worship. And here's how we sacrifice and worship. And here's how blood is let in order for the remission of sins. God's showing us all the way back. So that when Jesus shows up, and he is literally sacrificed, sacrifices himself, we should understand what's going on there. So Abraham built the altar there, the rest of verse 9, and laid the wood in order and bound his, Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And our hearts are broken for Abraham. And they're afraid for Isaac. If we saw this scenario today, and there are people out there that will look at this and go, this is nothing but abuse. This is nothing but a father abusing his son. Why doesn't he lay on that wood and sacrifice himself? Yet we know from the text that Abraham loved Isaac. What the text doesn't tell us is how Isaac is reacting to all this. We see no resistance. We see no fighting. There's a, the least amount of dialogue between Isaac and Abraham as there was between Abraham and God. All we can discern from what we read here is that Isaac is amazingly obedient. Maybe more so than it appears. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's take a look at God's substitute, starting with verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And Abraham is standing over his son with the knife. The, the son is sitting on the funeral pyre. The, 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 the fire is there. And Abraham is ready to do what God has asked him to do. And so what, what the author wants to see here is that the last possible second... The angel calls out, and you can see Abraham, maybe with a knife above his head, saying, Here I am, what do you want me to do? Rescue me from this. Rescue me. Verse 12, the angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son in place of his son. Do you think Abraham ran over to that ram? You think there might have been just a few minutes in which Abraham was afraid it might get away? So Abraham called that name of the place, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day 
On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now think about that for a second because we know what that mountain is going to end up being. The place of the temple. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Think about that. This is not God being arrogant. This is God swearing by the only thing that is faithful and true and pure and holy. How could God swear by anything else other than himself? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so what we see is that God is not on a fact-finding mission with Abraham. God is going to put his faith on display to all the nations of the world. And God will say, this is what faith and trust looks like. This is what a relationship with me looks like. So Abraham becomes the, the object lesson in teaching us that God can redeem through a substitute. Through a gift of grace. God provides, watch this, God provides salvation to Isaac and at the same time fulfills his promise to Abraham. God shows the world what he does with obedience, faith, and trust. God shows the world that even though his plan might not seem to make sense, it is his plan. And it will be true, and he will be faithful to it. So we see these three aspects of God's plan. We saw Abraham's sorrow, verses 1 through 8. Abraham loved his son, but he loved his God even more. How many of us can say that? That we love our God more than we love anything else. I mean, that's what we see here in Abraham's life. That's difficult for us to process. It shows that Abraham had his priorities in line. His trust of God is total. And we're going to see just how total that is in just a moment or two. But meanwhile, let's review Isaac's submission. Isaac's a blessing. He honors his earthly father. And honors his heavenly father at the same time by not rebelling against his earthly father. They don't have the law yet, but it's working right there in their lives. And we saw God's substitute. We saw God provide a substitute for Isaac, uh, a lamb to die in his place. So the practical lesson we have for today is one of trust. We, we trust to, to, to learn that. We, we have to go back to Hebrews to understand fully how much Abraham trusted God. Find out what Abraham was thinking as he built that altar and, and maybe sharpened that knife over his boy, Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith, 
Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Abraham intended to do it. Verse 18, of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham completely surrendered his boy to the Lord. Trusted him totally in God's hand, believing that once he sacrificed him, that God would raise him from the dead. That's incredible. And, and even more so, Abraham had never seen anything like that. There's no scripture about resurrection. There was no evidence that this was something that God did. But Abraham trusted God so completely that he was willing to sacrifice two things that were most precious to him. His son and his future. His future. Where does the promise go if Isaac's gone? What happens to the promise if, if God doesn't fulfill what he said he was going to do through Isaac? Is it easy to have that type of faith? Is it easy to trust God so much that we're willing to give Him everything that is most precious to us and say, have your way with it? No, it's not. It's not. It takes that complete trust in God. It takes complete trust in His promise that everything that happens to us is going to be for our good and His glory. There are hours in our life when it just doesn't seem that way. Isn't that true? I don't think this was a bright time for Abraham. I think it was a dark time. I think he was relieved when he saw how it turned out. But I think it was a struggle for him. See, the things that Abraham were about to go through, Abraham had to know that if he was going to be tested, he would be true. God had a plan for our life. Kelly and I left Cincinnati. We didn't particularly care for it. But in August of 1987, we ran out of gas. We ran out of money. In Warrington, Virginia. I guess you know how the rest of that story went. We've been here ever since. God had a plan for Kelly and me. He has one for you as well. Brothers and sisters. It permeates Scripture. Just as he had one for Isaac. But there's a little bit more to Isaac's story revealed than, than what we're seeing here on the surface. Because we usually envision Abraham and Isaac like this picture that we showed you a little bit earlier. A robust man and a little boy. But if you look at the context of the passage and kind of read between the lines just a little bit, you see that Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking a hundred years old is pretty old. We go, oh, things were different back then. Not that different. Okay? So, so Isaac, Isaac we, we don't know how much time passes between the last verse of Genesis 21 and Genesis, the first verse of Genesis 22. We don't know how much time. But we know this. 
Isaac was old enough to walk with and care for his 100, 110, 120-year-old father on a three-day trip. He was old enough and mature enough to, and, and big enough and strong enough to carry a stack of wood up that mountain. And i got to tell you something. All the pictures we see, there's a couple of twigs. You know what kind of fire was needed to even to sacrifice a lamb? That's a considerable amount of wood. Isaac was old enough and mature enough to understand what a sacrifice was. Where's the lamb, Dad? Isaac was no small boy. Watch this. The Jewish historian Josephus puts uh, Isaac at 25 years old. Jewish tradition puts him at 30 or 33, the same age of Jesus Christ when, when he went to the cross. With all this in mind, our story changes a little bit, doesn't it? Abraham has no chance now of being an abusive father trying to sacrifice his little boy. We have, at the very least, a young man fully capable of overpowering his aged father. A young man who willingly submits in faith to his father's will. You see the beauty in all of this? Isaac, the son of promise, God promised that He would bless the nations through Isaac. And God uses Isaac's obedience to his father to create the lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ, the perfect son. Watch, watch what happens here. You go to Matthew chapter 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac verse 2. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Peretz, and Zerah, by Tamar, and Peretz, the father of Hetzron, and Hetzron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. So we made it up to David through Isaac. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brother at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Atzor, and Atzor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born and is called Christ. 
That's what God does with Isaac's obedience. Leads to the once for all sacrifice for the sin of all those who believe in him. We see that God's perfect plan of redemption is preserved through the obedience of one flawed man because we find out later on that Isaac has his troubles as well. It's preserved through the obedience of one flawed man so that it could be perfected in the obedience of one perfect man. God provides a substitute for Isaac so that he could eventually reveal his glory through the substitute for you and me. Make no mistake. We're the ones that lay on that funeral pyre. We're the ones that are called in obedience to Christ. We're the ones that deserve that type of end. Yet, God has provided a lamb to take that sacrifice in our place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son, your only son, the one that you love, Father, was willing to take that, that trip to the cross in our place, Lord, that we might not suffer not just a horrible death, but an eternity apart from you. We thank you that you show us shadows of this in the life of Abraham and Isaac. We thank you that you teach us the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It's really a fancy way of saying somebody dying in our place, somebody taking what we've earned, taking the punishment that we've earned because of the sin that we've committed. We thank you for showing us that so early in the book of your self-revelation. And we pray, Father, that that would permeate our thoughts, to break our hearts for you, Father. And we would render up all that we have and all that we are in the same way that Abraham did in obedience and trust to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Click on the like button below, that little thumbs up icon. If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving and follow the links from there. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.